You go to an all-you-can-eat buffet so you can continually load up and load up. I've heard people say, well, you know, I, I pretty much get whatever I want there. Well, who goes to a restaurant and orders what they don't want? I mean, if you do that, you might as well stay home and eat what your mom cooks for you. But don't we all go and order what we want? Well, you don't get enough. Really. And, and then we treat life like that. God is a wise and generous provider. He knows our hearts and He understands what we really need. As we try to live a life of faith relying on Him, it is tempting to get greedy. We thank God for what He's given us, all the while coveting after the things we don't have. Instead of being content in His provisions, we try to supplement with our own resources and fulfill those selfish desires. As Pastor Mark reminds us in today's message, we need to realize that all we really need has been provided by our loving Father. And when we feel like there's something we're lacking, it's an opportunity for us to increase our faith in Him. Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive. These guys just go through the motions. They forget who and why they do what they do. They forget who they do it to and why they're doing it. Church, is that you? Is that us as Christians? Do we just kind of oh, man, cool, we're going to go to church so I can feel good today. And, you know, it's my obligation. You know, the Lord will look down and he'll look favorably. Hey, really? If you think like that, maybe we, we could plug you in over to the children's ministry and you can start learning the real lessons and working your way back up into where you need to be so you can really understand what the Bible says. I mean, do we, do we really think that? Is that it's an obligated God? You know, it's like, yeah, he wants us to fellowship, but it's more than just the fellowship. He wants us to serve. You know, it goes back to a lot of times we get caught up into, oh, I want to serve people. I want to serve a ministry. I want to do that, and it's not. No, you don't. You can't. Your relationship, it needs to be you're serving the Lord doing it to the Lord first and foremost. And then you can serve people in the right way. Then you can serve a ministry in the right way. And it just kind of unfolds at that angle and that level. It works from him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, first and foremost, serving him as to who he is. I mean, when was the last time you had a best friend die on a cross for you? Anybody? Raise your hand. Anyone? I don't see any hands going up. But we all should raise our hand and say, well, it's 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus Christ. We've all had that best friend. But what about the best friend in high school? Have you, anybody ever had one? Just, hey, dude, you know, you've been blowing it, and, and uh, somebody's going to try to kill you for it, but I'm going to go ahead and take the hit for you. Anybody ever have anyone do that? I mean, it's like, and, and, and who are we to just kind of, oh, well, I'm just not going to do my best anymore. It's like there's other people out there that are suffering, that are hurting, and so we tend to forget why we do what we do. We just kind of start doing it. It becomes emotion. Maybe it's emotional for us. It makes us feel good. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good, but 
make sure it's for the right reason. Make sure when you, when you finish serving and you're doing things to the Lord that you, when you sit back, you're like, oh, Lord, man, I, did, I gave you my best. I know my best isn't like way up there, but I gave you my very best. I did all that I could. Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Remembering who he is and what he has done for you and why you get to do what you do. Because, I mean, if it's just going through the motions, I'm sure there's some club out there. There's a club out there that will allow you to do the same thing. If you really love to serve people, work in a restaurant. You'll get some tips and make some money for it. But serving people in a bigger and in a better way, saying, hey, man, you know what? The Lord loves you, and, and these gifts that we give to you, they're not from me. They're from God. He, he put that on my heart to bring these to you. Or maybe you just drop them off on a door, and you knock, and you run. A little note from God. That blows somebody's mind. See, maybe you grew up in church, and you heard all this before, and it really means nothing to you, or you're just going through the motions. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity should breed consideration because if you really hang out with God that much, then you should really consider what happens here at church, what happens in your daily lives, him working around you. What happens in the lives of these two supposed men of God is that worship becomes a farce here at this town called Shiloh. These guys were not close to the Lord. They didn't know God, but God knew their heart. And how tragic that these words would describe spiritual leaders of God's people. When we look at verse 12 again, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Remember that one verse? Depart from me for I... Who, who didn't know who in the, in the two verses? They didn't know God, but in the verse that we read in Matthew, depart from me because I never knew you. You ever ask yourself when you see that and you're like, how, how would Jesus know me? How would he know me? It doesn't say depart from me, those who you don't know me. It says, because I don't know you. How would Jesus know who you are? How would I know you? How does anybody know anyone? You meet them. You introduce yourself. I made a new friend this week. How did I know him? I hung out with him. Asked some questions. Got to know where he stands. What he likes, what he doesn't like. Now, I don't know his favorite color yet, but hopefully I will one day. I don't really think I even know my wife's favorite color. Is it blue? Uh, no, it's not. I didn't even know her eye color on our, on, our, uh, on our, what was that party they gave us? Couple shower. They were like, what's her eye color? And I'm like, green? I never was that close to her face to look. Maybe I was, I don't know. But I didn't know her eye color. I didn't. I just, those things really, I'm not, you know, hey, that's who I am. I'm not that kind of touchy-feely. Oh, me and my eye. I know they're blue now. I still don't know her favorite color. I know who her favorite guy is. <laughs> Back to the subject. But how do, you, how do we know each other? We hang out. We talk. We, we have interaction. Do you have interaction with Jesus or is this it? We show up at a place where they talk about him. Oh, what if your marriage was like that? Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, you just show up at your house and, and let's say me and a bunch of my buddies come and we gather around in my living room and we're swapping stories and hanging out. And I'm like, oh, well, wait a minute. Let me tell you about my wife. And she's in a room. I got her in, 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 in a really big room. It's, a, it's just she decorated it however she wanted or I had somebody do it for her. Nice and fluffy. Her favorite colors are in there, blue or whatever it is. Pink, black, I don't know. Black is her favorite color. That's what it is. Anyway, um, and so I, I, we're, and we talk about her. 
And I talk about her and I talk about how great my wife is and how awesome my wife is and all the great things that my wife does. And then, you know, I'm like, man, check out the song I wrote for my wife. And I sing and you guys, my guy buddies, we all join in singing how wonderful and how great my wife is. And they're like, man, that's a cool song. I should write one for my wife like that. And then, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's go. And I leave her in that room and look at her and like, hey, you know, I'll be back next week. Talk about you some more and sing about you some more with my friends in a big room. Is that what we do at church? We just sing and talk about the one we're supposed to have a a relationship with, and we leave from week to week and really never interact and never have an intimate conversation with. I mean, would we treat our wives and husbands that way? Hopefully not. And these two men, supposed men of God, they got this worship that is so weird. These guys were not close to the Lord. They didn't know God, but God knew their heart. He knew where they were. And it's a very tragic word to describe these leaders. So many Christians just go through motions or do their own thing, and these guys had a standard. They had to do it a certain way because in the book of Leviticus, we see that there's some outlines, and you see that we'll look at some of those. But like them and so many of us, we just kind of do things our own way and figure, oh, well, you know what? Here it is. And we do. There's a standard we're called to live up to as Christians. And the fruit of not knowing God often is boredom and worship and immorality in personal life. If you really don't have a real true relationship, all these things are easy to creep in. Our minds begin to wonder and think about debased things. But there's hope because peppered throughout these verses that we're looking at today, actually before a sin is mentioned, guess whose name is, comes up? Samuel. Samuel's mentioned. Look at verse 11. It talks about the child, Samuel, ministering. And then we see these liturgical sins right before it. And then in verse 18 through 21, we see Samuel serving. And then there's a moral sin. Verse 26, Samuel growing. Then there's prophecy of judgment. God always leaves himself with a witness. Always. Judas denies him and, and trades him off. Or I'm sorry, Peter denies him. And who who in, the, in a few verses around the same time, Judas is sitting there on a cross and he throws his 30, he recognizes what he had done. God always leaves himself a witness. God's at work providing for new godly leadership for his people when the old gets old and starts to do the wrong things. You know, it, it, it's often you see where people are like, man, I really want to be used by the Lord. And it's like, okay, cool, man. Be used, jump in, both feet, get in there, get wet. And yet, there's some kind of hidden, horrible sin. Growth seldom makes noise. You know that? You ever hear a tree grow? You ever hear your children growing taller? Growth seldom makes any kind of noise. And so here, God was growing his new leader, kind of silently. All Israel suffered under these arrogant guys, cynical and moral priesthood. They heard that. Clergy who savored the prime cuts over teaching godliness. They wanted intercourse with the women at the door of the temple rather than intercession. And it seemed that there was no hope for improvement. But in the middle of it all, in the center of this whole big thing, God kept whispering, don't forget Samuel. Don't forget Samuel. He, he reminds us over and over, here's Samuel. In your own life, maybe there's something weird going on, and is he whispering to you, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Do you hear it? See, God always provides for the next moment, even in the middle of the darkest moments. Look at verse 13. 
And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all the flesh hook brought up. So they didn't Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the men who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest. I mean, this guy's kind of primitive. For he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you must take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So here, a worshiper would be cooking his portion of a, of a peace offering for the post-sacrificial meal. He and his family would enjoy together. They would, they would be cooking this up, and they'd be like, man, this is awesome, man. Me and my family are going to sit down, and we're going to have some of this roast, and it's going to be great. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy with his little three-pronged barbecue fork. And whatever was brought up, that servant would cart away to the priests. They would just show up. And this is really out of control because according to Leviticus 7, 28 through 36, if you're taking notes, just write that down and look it up later. They, the priests were allotted the breast and the right leg. They, they were already given a portion of that meat. They were allotted the breast and the right leg, not more. But the Shiloh fork man was sent for more. They'd send some dude out for more. Like it was an all-you-can-eat buffet. How many of you like those things? Don't raise your hand. You might embarrass yourself with what I got to say next. David likes them. I love them. Why? Because we can throw down. You can eat as much as you want. You can eat as much as you want. And we tend to live life like that. Like it's an all-you-can-get buffet. When God gives you a certain amount of provision, we want more. You go to an all-you-can-eat buffet so you can continually load up and load up. I've heard people say, well, you know, I pretty much get whatever I want there. Well, who goes to a restaurant and orders what they don't want? I mean, if you do that, you might as well stay home and eat what your mom cooks for you. Well, don't we all go and order what we want? Well, you don't get enough. Really. And, and then we treat life like that. God provides for us, and all of a sudden, it's not enough. Lord, I need more, and I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to forcefully take what I can get. I know, I know, I, I could use this money, and it could better something else over here. It could help somebody over here, you know, but I can't live simply so others can simply live. I just need to live as complex as I can possibly get because I need or think that I need because I have this want that is so big, and I have no idea how to control it, and so it gets out of control. And we start sending for more. If someone resisted, they would forcefully take it. Hey, you just see two guys wrestling in front of a cauldron for meat? Who do you think won? The guy with the flesh hook. I mean, that would be like, hey, back down, buddy. Back down. I'm going to get you. And so we're shocked to hear that these priests, these godly men are doing these things. They want more than what God provides. But I have to ask, don't we do this? Don't we wrestle and take by force or go after more than what God provides? I want, I want, I want. I want, I want, I want more. And so what happens, those who want to do the right thing, they see those who are supposed to be more spiritually mature. The more spiritually mature person 
wanting and going after more and that are, they are no longer satisfied with what God provides. And soon they follow. And then now this new young convert possibly could be like, well, yeah, they're the priests and I'm going to model my life after them. I mean, he's supposed to be the godly guy and now I'm going to do it. Now you got this whole group of people that begin to think in terms of this belongs to me and that belongs to me. And that's where we see that, hey, in verse 17, at the end of that verse, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. They quit giving. They quit voluntarily. It's like, why? They're just going to come and take it. Is that what happens in churches? Is people, you know, you just start like, man, why am I going to give it? Because it's just going to get taken away. They're just going to take, take advantage. Why do we think that way? What, what happens in verse 17 tells us why we think that way is that they despised. They abhorred what the Lord provided. It was no longer enough. Spiritual leaders blew it. And when spiritual leaders begin to blow it, the people begin to blow it. When the people begin to blow it, you get enough of people blowing it, then the nation begins to blow it. When the nation begins to blow it, and if you're the nation that's kind of holding things together, then it kind of starts to fall apart a little bit. If, if a dad... If I blow it, it's easy for my son to blow it. If I continue to do it without repentance, then all of a sudden I wonder why the family starts to be shaken apart. If I have no trust and no faith in the Lord, if you belong to the Lord and everything belongs to God, if you say, I belong to God and everything I have belongs to him, then isn't it really his anyway to do with what he pleases? And so why do we try to hang on to it? Or why do we try to get more? Do we trust that he's going to provide the right amount of stuff for us? And so when you think about it, how serious does God take this? How serious does he take it? Well, look at verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. God takes it so serious that he takes a child and he says, man, if this little kid can do better, <laughs> we'll just plug him in. Now, how do I know this? That linen ephod was something that the priests would wear. They didn't take this lightly. Yeah, the, the two sons did, but Eli, we know, didn't. And so here, here we go. I mean, the two sons just blew it over and over again. They didn't take it seriously, but Eli took it very seriously. So little bitty Samuel, young child, maybe 10, 13 years old, is a priest. And last week we talked about how kids back then kind of grew up a little faster. Some of them were married. He was given a serious job. Look at verse 19. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And they would go to their own home. They would leave happy. And then the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons, two daughters. And meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So, Remember we heard Hannah's prayer in the temple a few weeks ago? She, she didn't manipulate. Some people might consider that, but she didn't. Sometimes we do this in prayer. We try to manipulate God. God, if you would only bless me with this, then I will do this. And, and oftentimes when we do that, well, we're the ones that wind up giving the short end of the stick. Because we're trying to better ourselves and get more for us. It goes back to, hey, why aren't we happy with what God provided for us? If he's provided this, we should be blessed with what we have, yet we want more. 
And so, God, if you just give me a little more, I'll do this. Now, there's a time when that, that's kind of cool because what Hannah did was she, she kind of qualified, Lord, I don't want this for my own reason. I don't want this little boy for my own reason because she obviously saw the corruption in the countryside, in the priest. And so she says, I want this for godly reasons. I, I want this little boy for godly reasons. And so if you let me bear a son, I will give him back to you. If you give me, I will give back. I mean, why would you want something to give it away? She gave it back. It was for a holy purpose. In James, we are told when we pray, we don't receive because we ask amiss, wanting what we pray for, uh, for our own pleasures. How many of us pray for our own pleasures? See, she was praying because she wanted to see Israel righted. And so she thought, Lord, if you give me a son, let him be the one to take this shaken country of mine and ride it. How many of you moms are willing to do that with your sons? Lord, if you give me a son, I promise, and I'll give him back to you. I'll let him live in some place far away so he can ride our country. How many of you are willing to do that? How many of you dads are willing to do that? See, she wanted God to prevail. She asked not for herself, but for God. She didn't ask for herself. She asked for God. So she gave God one, and look at her return on her investment. She got how many? Count them. Three more sons, two daughters, equals five. I mean, what, how many of you would take money and dump it into something like that? Here's 100 bucks, Mark. Okay, cool. I'm going to give you 500 back. All of us, hopefully smart people, would be like, yeah, that's a good return on my investment. She receives grace on top of grace, and that's vintage God. That's what God does. No sacrifice ever seems to impoverish God's servants. If you're a real servant, it's not going to cause you to go broke if it's really for God and you're really doing it so God can use what resources you're giving, whether it's your time, your money, whatever it is. It's not going to make you go broke. You're not going to lose. You know, I'll tell people this all the time. Yeah, we ha- I have had some busy weeks, but you know what? I've also had some time where I'm like, man, I've, it seems like I've got a ton of time other weeks. I get to spend a lot of time with my family and my children. But you know what? It's not because I'm like, all right, God, I'm going to give you this much time, and I know you're going to do it this way. I don't try to figure the math. I'm just like, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Do with me what you need to do, and let's go for it. And we go for it, and then there's other times when you kick back and you look, and you're like, you know what? The Lord just redeemed, and I got all this extra time, an abundance of it. Yeah, this one week was really rough. I didn't have a whole lot of time. didn't seem like it. It was real busy different things happening. But all of a sudden, I had all this other time to hang out with friends. Go do what I want to do. So no sacrifice ever seems to impoverish God's servants. It doesn't take away. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. 
If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.